0: So since last summer, I stopped drinking sodas per se. I do have a, maybe a, a, a zero every once in a while, but I quit the sugar sodas. But guys, when you're sick and you got a sore throat, is there anything feels better than the fizziness of a soda when you when you sip on it and your throat's hurting? I mean, come on, be real. But here's something very disappointing. Here you are, and you're like, you know, man, I just want a soda, and you go in the store. And you go back there, and in my day, I was a Mountain Dew guy. No one else is. And I'd get a Mountain Dew, and there's nothing more disappointing. You get out, you've paid for it, you sit in your car, you reach up, you grab that top, and you turn it, and you don't hear the ps. Listen, there's nothing that tastes worse than a flat soda, except maybe Pepsi, because it kind of tastes like flat soda. But, you know, they, they, they seal those sodas with the carbonation in it, and And it's supposed to stay sealed until the expiration date, of course. So it maintains its freshness. like when you have leftovers, you reach in your cabin, you get a Ziploc bag. And, you know, you put your leftovers in a Ziploc bag. It's pretty, you know, it's almost like, you know, a bubble wrap popping the bubbles when you hear that thing. of, You know, you put in that Ziploc bag and you seal it. So you're trusting that the contents in that Ziploc bag are going to be fresh. Or maybe some of you... Um, you, know, you know, you've know, you worked on your windows and your doors, and you put caulk around your windows and your doors, so you seal the doors so that good air stays in and the bad air stays out. I uh, actually was texting with one of our church planning partners, uh, Andy Duke, who is in Colorado, and he said, this morning, it's negative 17 degree wind chill. I felt guilty complaining about it being cold this morning. And, you know, but you you put that, you know, you have seals around your doors. You have caulking and seals around the doors of your car. Some of you still struggle with child-proof locks on bottles. I'm sorry. You've got to push it all the way down and don't let it click. But when you open up like some Motrin, you know, usually there's a seal in there to make sure you know that, hey, they sealed this and it's been there for freshness. Now, let me talk about cows. Now, we're not going to put cows in a Ziploc bag. But... If you were out west and you had a big herd of cows and your neighbor had a big herd of cows, you would brand, stamp, or seal your cow with your, your image so you'd know, hey, that's my cow. It's got my my symbol on it. And with my background in, in poultry, I remember um, when they would send out the, the, the trucks with the good chicken, not the chicken that came in. You know, every time we pass a chicken truck that's got live chickens, we saw God bless those chickens as they go to their death for the nourishment of my body. But... But, you know, when the USDA truck leaves, usually they close it and lock it, and they put a stamp, a seal on the lock so that you know for the, the best they know that what's on that truck is clean and you can eat it. But I want to talk to you about a different kind of sealing. Back in antiquity, in ancient times, if someone was going to write a letter, they would write that letter, and then they would roll it up, and then they would close the flap over, and they would use wax and they would put wax on, the, on the, 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 the lip of that document. And usually would have a signet ring with, with their crest, their image, their logo. And they would press it into that wax. And it had a twofold purpose. That raised emblem would show, hey, this belonged to the person who owns the contents of this letter. But it also sealed it. So if the person that was receiving the letter saw the seal broken, they may question... What was inside the contents of that letter, and we see this idea of sealing throughout the Bible. As early as Ezekiel nine verses four through six, we see where God set a sign on His chosen one and marked them to set them apart. When we read in Revelation seven three, God puts a seal on His on His people to identify them and protect them. In fact, we see this idea of sealing. When Jesus died, they took his body and laid it in a tomb and rolled a stone over the grave and sealed it to verify that those who laid his body in there testified that he was a dead man and in a grave. See, if you put all of this together, we see that Scripture, a seal, communicates ownership, protection, and validation of a relationship. Last week... We talked about the person who is the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how we need to experience the person of the Holy Spirit. Our connection to God. The revealer of truth. The testifier of Christ. He is our paraclete. He comforts us. He advocates for us. He helps us. But now this week, we want to talk specifically about how the Holy Spirit marks us. He seals us. And he does that because he fills us. You see, because right now we're sitting in a room that's full of air, right? And I can do a little magic trick. You see, I can take the air in this room and put it into here. Check check this out. Ta-da. Magic. I'll be signing autographs at the door. But if you look at this balloon, all this balloon is without air is a latex cavity, lifeless, full of death. (laughs) But the moment that I put air into this, the air that is in this is the air outside of it. Now it has definition. It has purpose. I could keep blowing this up or a few more and throw them out in the crowd and y'all probably knock them around for a little while. Its purpose is to be a toy. And see, you and I are no different than this balloon. You see, yeah, sometimes we sound like that. The difference is that we, as human beings, are dead without Jesus Christ. We're dead in our trespasses, in our sin. But Jesus Christ died to set us free and to forgive us of our sin. And so I know that I'm saved because Jesus promised. If I would believe in Him, trust His Word, that He's the Son of God, died on the cross, raised again, I would be saved. But sometimes we stop short. We fall short of what happens to us when we get saved. Because when you and I accept Jesus, something miraculous happens. He gives us a very special gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit fills us, and by filling us, it marks us. In fact, the filling of the Holy Spirit in a believer... Is the initial and the primary evidence of salvation. Did you catch that? Because people will ask you, How do you know you're saved? And you'll give a litany of answers. I know I'm saved because Jesus promised. But the evidence of that salvation is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not your church membership, it's not how many classes you attend, or how many Bibles you own, or how many verses you can quote. The initial evidence of salvation is the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, I read a book called Seeing God by Gerald McDermott, where he actually is doing a commentary on Jonathan Edwards, who two three centuries ago wrote another book called Religious Affections, where he begins to talk about the 12 reliable signs of grace, the 12 reliable signs that, that makes me know or or helps me to know that I am spiritual, that I'm saved. Because if the spirit lives inside of me, I am now a spiritual being. I mean, we all have a spirit, but when the spirit comes to live inside of me, it should change me. And so Edwards, writing many years ago, wrote this. He said, thus, Christians are called spiritual persons because they are born of the spirit, and because of the indwelling and the, of the, and the holy influences of the Spirit of God in them. And things are called spiritual as they relate to the Spirit of God. Okay, does that make sense? We are spiritual beings. But then, because uh, Jonathan Edwards was the master of run-on sentence, his sentence has never ended. So Jeremy Dermart says this, he says, The first reliable sign. Of true spirituality is the indwelling Holy Spirit. True saints have this Holy Spirit living inside of them on a permanent basis. A divine and a supernatural source of spirituality. And the source of the, is the Holy Spirit who dwells permanently. If you didn't catch it the first time, he said it again. Permanently in the believer. The point is, the Holy Spirit seals and marks a believer as God's own possession. If you are saved, the Bible is clear that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are not saved. There is no gray area here. There's no room for interpretation. You either do or do not have the Spirit of God. In fact, Gerald McDermott goes on to say this. He says, there's many people... Who have been touched and influenced by the Holy Spirit outside, but without the Spirit's permanent indwelling. And so maybe you're like the story of Harold who grew up in church, or was, was, was born and went to church, but his parents went through a divorce. And he spent many years running, went through all 48 states as a vagabond until it caught up to him and he ended up in jail. In fact, he, he was sentenced to 1 to 21 for writing a bad check and he said, you know, I'm not that bad, I'll be out in about a year. 16 years later, because he would often bring in contraband and was caught fighting and witnessed riots and actual murders, he was finally released. And being a convict, it was hard to find a job. And so he got a job cooking chili at a restaurant and he met someone named Mary. And just like any any guy, he's like, whoa, she's pretty. And he became interested. But to his... To his shock, he went up to her and said, hey, I'd love to take you out on a date. And she said, well, that would be great if you go to church. And so uh, through missionary dating, Harold started going to church. And when he got there, he knew something was out of place, his heart. And when the invitation, invitation came, he was engulfed in intense guilt for his life. In fact, he said, he went to the altar and he said that there was something that would not let him return to his seat and hide. He said, Lord, please forgive me. I've dragged you through bars and through the mud of my sinful life. I ran from you on the highways and the flop houses all these years. To which Harold says he felt the voice of the Lord speak to him and say, I know, Harold. I was with you the whole time, you. Harold got saved. And his life changed. And do you know why his life changed? Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He lost the cravings that he once had. He walked away from the sinful, sinful past that he held on to. His criminal record still existed, but under the blood of Jesus it was gone. His co-workers and his friends all testified that from that point on, he exuded the joy of the Lord, whether he was at work or whether he was at home. It made a difference. And so if you're here today, I want you to hear me say something. If you're here today and you've given up on life, I'm telling you there's hope. If you're here today and you're struggling with relationships, I'm telling you that there's hope. If you're carrying unforgiveness and you're consumed with anger, I'm telling you that there's hope. If you've been let down over and over and over again by your family, your friends, and sometimes church, I'm telling you that there's hope If you're stuck in your sin and you cannot find a way out, I'm telling you that there is hope. And if you're sitting here today and you're stewing in your pride, there's hope. You know why? Because if you're joining me online or you're in this room today and you know you're lost without Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, thank God, that there's hope. And there's hope because the spirit of god is with us right now. You know how I know that? Because he promised. So I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians 1 and when you get there, I want you to stand with me. we're going to read two verses. Ephesians 1:13 and 1:14. So go ahead and stand when you're ready. I wish I could just read the whole book. And I apologize for the small font on the study guide. We're going to blister through that thing here in a few minutes. Verse 3 through verse 17 is one sentence. And this sentence is referring back to verse 3 where he says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. How does that happen? Because God willed it, as we'll find out. And then he talks about the son. He paid for it. And now we're going to read how the Spirit makes it possible. And he says in verse 13, In Him you also, talking about Christ, after listening to the Word, the message, the Logos of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. No ifs, ands, or buts, no black or white. If you have listened and then you have believed, you have been sealed. And he says in verse 14, Who is given as a pledge Of our inheritance. Inheritance to what? Inheritance to the future. To that life, that that home that Jesus is building for you and for me. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession. What is He possessing? You. You see the personal connection. Guys, Christianity is not a religion. And if we make it a religion, we are sinning. It's a relationship to the praise God. Of his glory. Father, as as we unpack this, I pray that you set me aside and that your word is what speaks forth today. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I do pray that each and every week. Because it's the word of God, not my words. I don't know how many of you are preacher followers, but I'm gonna tell you preachers are gonna let you down. And if you're worshiping a preacher, that's sin too. But what you need to hear is the word of God, not my words. I'm just a vessel. Guys you listen to on TV and the books you read, they're just vessels. God is our God. Sorry, you didn't come for that. That's not extra. We won't charge for it. But let me me back up into Acts chapter 2. Let me give you some things about the Holy Spirit just to make sure that we're still on the same page. Number one, the Holy Spirit did not come into existence. The Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, has always existed. Here's the thing, when Jesus Christ put on flesh, forever he took on humanity and still is. It changed. Jesus didn't come into being. He was not created. That's why St. Nicholas punched out Arian. Y'all don't know that story. St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, in the 3rd, 4th century, punched Arius, Arian for his, his heresy. Didn't pay for that one either. But go Santa Claus. Because Arian was saying that Jesus was created. He was not. And the Holy Spirit was not created. But in the church age that began on the day of Pentecost, we are in the church age. Which means that now the Spirit indwells us. Before then, he did not mark believers under the new covenant. Because the new covenant had not been paid for. It did not get paid for until Jesus died on the cross. You with me? Amen. Say amen. So, we begin to dig into Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, and it's interesting because Jesus commanded them to wait. And then in verse 5, he says, listen, wait and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Referring back to what John the Baptist said about Jesus, that he would come and he would baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so when you are baptized in water, you are immersed in. In water. But that water does not come into you. Unless you don't hold your nose. If you notice I'll look over when I baptize somebody and I'll do this. Because I'm prompting them. You better hold your nose or you're about to get it up your nose. But that water doesn't come in because baptism is a sign of repentance. And new life. It's metaphorical. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not metaphorical. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit... It engulfs us and it enters us. Just like that balloon that I blew up earlier. It encompasses us and it drives us and it fills us. There's a twofold symbol when we talk about fire. Fire was judgment. When you read the Old Testament, Joshua 7, when Achan sinned, they burned everything. It was an act of judgment. Fire also is, an, uh, is, a, is a sign of purification. And so I believe in that upper room, when you get to 2-4, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I kind of imagine it wasn't like this little flickering uh, candle that was sitting on their shoulder, as some artists have predicted. I believe they were engulfed in a flame of fire, just like the burning bush. The burning bush was being engulfed in a flame, but it did not get consumed. You see, we need to be consumed. We need the Spirit. Remember, He's the convictor of sin and judgment. And so we need the Spirit to come and illuminate, to purge and to purify us. And so, the connection from 1, five to 2.4 is this. That the filling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. And I know I may get some calls on this one. It's the same thing. Are you with me? Because he, used, he said, wait until it comes, and when it comes, you will be baptized. And when it came, they were filled. Right? Yes or no? Do you agree or disagree? Yeah. Right. There, are, there are some of our brothers and sisters that will disagree with me. And that's okay. But here's the thing. My assurance of salvation rests and hinges upon the Holy Spirit. Not on me. And not on my works. And if I'm not blessed with every spiritual blessing upon the moment that I have trusted and believed in Christ, then I have nothing to stand on. And so let's look for a moment at Ephesians 1.13. He says here, um, in Christ, in Him, you also, there's, there's two participles, listening and believing. The in Him refers back to Christ, the one who died on the cross to forgive our sins. We put our faith and trust in Him. These are are two distinct things. I hear the word of truth. And then I believe. Past tense. But you know as well as I do, there are people who have heard the gospel. And they say, I have no part of that. I don't want that. I don't believe that. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm a pretty good person. Why would God not let me come into heaven? I've done a lot of good stuff. Well, they haven't listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And we know that the Bible is clear that God draws all men to, Jesus said, I draw all men to myself. In this verse, what we see here is this idea I hear and I believe. And when those two things have happened, I am sealed. Hearing, believing, sealing. I'm stamped. I'm marked. I'm branded. And I belong to God. I'm his I am in a sense a letter that God has written and he has sealed it. He's put his stamp on it. He's the only one who can open it and the contents of that letter belong to him. Paul goes on to elaborate in this in this book in chapter 2 verse number 8 and 9 to remind us that we're saved by grace through faith. Not of ourself, lest anyone can boast. We're not saved by our works. We're saved because Jesus promised. And if Jesus promised, if Jesus promised, then who did the work? He did. So, because I couldn't do enough good stuff to earn salvation, then my walking in the faith has to also be a work of God. And therefore, he gives me the feeling of the Holy Spirit to give me the ability, to give me the direction. To give me the power, to give me the testimony, and everything that I need to now walk in that path that he's laid out in front of me. Because the truth is, first point, regeneration. What happens to me, what happens when a person is saved is regeneration. When someone is saved, he or she is marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit Plain and simple, you are saved, you are sealed, you are marked. The promise of God now has invaded your life to give you the testimony of the promise to come. And I told you last week, and I'll remind you again, when you think spirit, think life. When you think spirit, think life. And so it reminds me of when the man with the lame hand was healed in the synagogue in Matthew chapter 12. And Not to make the story really long, but but at the end of that he, he interrupts the synagogue and they're like fussing at him and Jesus says, well you know is it is it wrong to do good to somebody on the Sabbath and and there's this man with his hand all drawn up and if any of you have ever watched the show the chosen, I'm not sanctioning the, the show but but in there there's a clip of this man with the withered hand and Jesus brings him up and Jesus is is, is talking to him and he, and he and in that scene he says those words they're saying, you, you can't do a work on the Sabbath, and he said, well, why not? To do good to somebody. And so Jesus reaches up and he touches his his, his discolored and, and, and drawn up hand, and you see in, in that scene, you begin to see the blood flow. And the color change. And Jesus looks at him, though, and his hand's still kind of drawn up, and, and as it says in the text in Matthew, he says, Stretch out your hand. It was an act of faith. See, I mean, the man probably was already healed, but he was still living in the way he was before. And so then, slowly, the man begins to open his hands, and all of the, 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 the deformity is gone, and his hand is restored. And you and I are the same way. We have heard, we have believed, we have been marked in the Spirit. Now, God is calling us to act on that marking, to act on that feeling. If the Spirit is life, He's calling you and me to live in a life that is different. My sins are forgiven. I'm no longer dead. I've stepped out of darkness into life. I have repented. Therefore, I'm pointing my direction toward God. I have eternal life now and forever. I will pass the judgment. And the sign of these things is the infilled Holy Spirit. It is the mark. And this is us. This tells us that we belong to God and that He is our God and that we are His children and we know this because the Spirit manifests Himself to us and in us. So what does that look like? Well, I want to invite you to turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. I have nine points. One less than last week. But I'm not giving you the gift to just call out all these words. They're just... These are great because we, we came up with Rs. Everything starts. The first blanks all start with Rs. You know that's a that's a pirate's favorite letter, right? R. Bad Dad joke number five. First one here says this, and we're gonna follow along from eight one. Release. Write down the word release. By the Spirit, we are released. From the bonds of sin by walking in the Spirit. So before I read it, let me back up into chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul is talking about how we no longer serve the oldness of the law. It has been completely completed in Christ. And now this new covenant has come, the covenant of the Spirit. And so we serve in the newness of the Spirit. But then he begins to talk about this idea that, you know, there is sin and that the law actually highlighted sin. The the law was never intended to be a list of rules for you and I to keep to make myself look righteous because we all fall short. There's two things that my flesh makes me want to do. It entices me to fulfill my lust. Something tempts me and I, I, oh man, I want that. I want to do that. But you know what else your flesh causes you to do? Your flesh wants to look good. Your flesh wants to look good, so you'll do good stuff so that it makes you look righteous. So your flesh sins, and your flesh tries to go and achieve self-righteousness, self-justification. And so Paul's in this mindset, and he's going, oh my gosh, I have these two natures going on. I've got this spiritual that's trying to set me free, but over here, I've got this flesh that, that you know, I didn't even know it was wrong to covet and then the law said, thou shalt not covet. And he said, but I do covet. So the thing that I don't want to do, I'm doing. But the things that I do, that I don't want to do. And he's like, oh, have y'all ever read that and just kind of scratched your head or your eyes crossed? No wonder he then cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free. And then he gets to Romans 8.1. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law, check this out, of the spirit of, what's that word? Say it again. Say it loud. Life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because Jesus completed the law. He died to the punishment of of sin, which was death. He was raised again. So I'm no longer bound by that. But ladies and gentlemen, answer me this. Why? Why? Why is it that when we repent of our sins and claim to know Christ we keep going back to the same old stuff? We keep walking back right back into the same junk that had me bound. Paul said in Galatians 5:16, "I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So it reminded me of a scene in Brother, Oh, Where Art Thou? After they've escaped from the camp. And they're chained at their ankles and chained to one another. And so they're chasing this ch- train. That is hard to go from chain to train. But they're trying to get on this train. And so the, I can't remember the names of the characters. Just forgive me. One jumps on and he stands up. The next one jumps on. The third one's still out there. And you can see him kind of like, here's the door. And he's kind of backing up and he runs back up. He's trying to get on the train and all of a sudden he falls. Well, when he falls, he pulls the second one back off and the the first one he comes off too. They They weren't in the camp anymore. They actually were free. But they were still wearing the chains. Ladies and gentlemen, when the Spirit comes into your life, you have to make a decision. I will not let sin have dominion in my life anymore. I choose to live life freedom in the Holy Spirit that is not permission for you to go out and just sin if you sin as a believer you will quench the Holy Spirit and I don't know any worse place to be as a believer it's miserable in fact I believe you're more miserable in the guilt as a believer than you are in the guilt as an unbeliever because as an unbeliever you don't really give a rip but if the Spirit lives inside of you come on If the Spirit lives inside of you and you're still living in sin and and letting yourself be in that bondage, that may be the essence of your life. Just barely hanging on. I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. What I want us to do is live in the freedom that the Spirit brings. Because as Paul said in Galatians 6, 8, you make a choice. I think every moment of the day, am I going to sow to the flesh which leads to corruption? Or am I going to sow, sow to the Spirit that leads to life? You can't know life outside of knowing that. Number two, we need to refocus. By the Spirit, we refocus our minds to please God. For those who are according to verse five, for those according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things... Of the Spirit. Now, I want to invite you to go back and read the rest of that later. But let me tell you a couple, two or three things that's happening in this text. Number one is we're dead. We are dead. It says, For the mindset on the flesh is death. You and I can come up here right now and we can argue points of morality. And I could say, No, this is right. And you might say, No, this is wrong. Do you know how you can tell if something's right or wrong? It starts robbing you of life. It robs you of life. Why? Because the spirit can't exist in that sin. The spirit atrophies in that moment because you have rejected it. Are you following? If I sow to the flesh, it's death. But you know what else it is? It's hostile to God. Like, I don't want to submit to God, I'm an enemy of God in my flesh. And I'm not able to please Him. But if if I'm living in my flesh and I'm hostile to God, why does it matter if I please God or not? What I need to think, though, is I need to live in the Spirit so that I have the life. So that I am a a friend with God, not an enemy with God. So that I can want and know what it is to please Him. So in Romans 12, 2, when He said, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day we have to rethink And retune our mind so that we can think, what is it that God wants for my life? Point number three. I'm going into fast forward mode now. Residing. By the Spirit we are alive because the Spirit dwells in us. He says in verse number nine, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, then you are in the flesh. So when I look at my life and I begin to analyze myself, if the bulk of my life is the indulgence of my flesh, then I may have a major problem. There's a difference in backsliding and not being saved at all. And I honestly hate the word backsliding. But I also know this. Christians do sin, don't they? We all sin. But what's the difference? I have an advocate with the Father named Jesus. And I have a convictor who is the Holy Spirit. So if I can sin and not feel any remorse or guilt over that, then there's a problem. If you claim in this room right now to be a Christian, but you can sin without remorse and guilt, then you need to question your salvation. Plain and simple. There is no gray area in that. And why would I say it that strong to you? Because it's life and death. And when you pass from this life, there is no turning back. And I'm going to say it like this. When I say I don't care, I'm not saying I don't care about you. I love you. I love you a lot. But I don't care how long you've gone to this church or a church. I don't care if your papa was a preacher. I don't care if you joined at 7 or 70. I don't care if you got the Timothy Award in Awana. I don't care if you've been a deacon since 1948 and a half or taught every age group in this church. None of those things are evidences that you are saved. You can do every one of those things and not be saved. The only evidence scripturally that you are saved is the indwelling spirit. And if you are indwelt with the spirit, he is pulling you out of the sin and the muck of this world. And if you're still living in that muck and you can do so with a smile on your face, something's wrong. You need to pray to the God of heaven that he'll bring the right kind of illumination and guilt that will lead you to the foot of the cross. Y'all don't want to eat lunch with me, do you? (laughs) Number four, resurrection. Now, this this one's got... I'm going to shift to the positive now because here's the the truth. Let me read the verse and then I'll give you the blank. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. By the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. For centuries, people have been trying to find ways not to die. Fountains of youth. Plastic surgery. Trying to take a dead body and like Frankenstein, shock it back to life. But no one has succeeded except one man, Jesus Christ, who when He spoke, rise up, they rose up. And just like when He raised Lazarus from the dead, do you remember what they did? He comes out with all the grave clothes on him. And they say, take those things off of him. And we're no different. When we get saved, we have come out of death. We're now alive. And Jesus says, take those grave clothes off. Be set free from those things that bound you in that grave. And you know how I can do that? Because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. And that word there is enliven. It's not the same thing as if I gave this balloon to you it's a different word. It means to make alive. So it makes me think about Footloose. I'm telling you, I got all kinds of movie quotes today. At the end of Footloose, you know, they fought the whole movie to be able to dance, and now they've got their dance, and Ren, Kevin Bacon, is not there. I can't remember why he wasn't at the dance, but you get this scene, and they're all leaned up against the wall, chewing their gum, staring at the lights. Everything's ready, but no one's dancing. And all of a sudden, Kevin Bacon saves the day and he rushes in and says, I thought this was a party. Let's dance. And he yells that out, and all of a sudden everybody's like, Woo! Now we can go. Why are we waiting? Hold on. Why are we waiting for something to be the catalyst to kick off what's already made me alive in my life? The power of the resurrection lives inside of me we are called to live out of this world that there's a source that's beyond me that is supernatural there ought to be nothing that can hold me back therefore there ought to be no excuses because the Bible is clear that there's nothing impossible with God even changing your heart number five resolution by the spirit we die did you catch that? we die to the things of our flesh He says in verse 13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Crucifixion is death. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. and gave himself for me. That's the life that he's extended to us. But I have to make a resolution that I'm going to die to those things. Kind of like Chosen in Karate Kid 2. After Daniel has bested him, he's got him on the ground, and he's got his hand coming. I don't know what he's going to do with a karate chop. How you, I mean, like he's like, you're going to live or die, man. And Joseph's like, die. And he goes, wrong. And he honks his nose. <clears throat> Moses told the Israelites, I set before you today life. Choose life that you may live. And it's the same invitation for us that the spirit who lives inside of us that raised Jesus from the dead is inviting us to die to our flesh. Paul even said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which you have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Do you die daily? Does it come to your mind each day that I need to resolve to turn away from my flesh? Number six. Getting there. Reformation. By the Spirit, we are changed. Listen to this verse. It's a very key verse. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you are not a son of God, you are not being led by the Spirit of God. And so the litmus test here is to this. Am I following the Spirit of God? And I can do that. Now listen, I understand. We all wake up and we go to the faucet and, and the handle breaks off and we go to the shower and our kids have run all the hot water out and we're taking a cold shower and I go out and get in my car and... Put my key in the ignition. The battery's dead. And then I finally get out. And I go to the end of the road. And there's been a wreck. So the traffic's being redirected. I get, get to my work late. My boss rips me up one side and down the other. And that's only two hours into the day. And I'm just going, oh my gosh. How is any of this spiritual? Because I'm not living there. My heart's living in the spirit. Things are going to happen to you in your life. But you don't have to play that game. You can bag up all your balls and bats and go home. You don't have to play according to the world's rules. You play to your rules. Laura and I used to have this saying sometimes when, especially like if you're ever late to work, you always get behind that guy who's driving 32 and a half miles an hour in a 65. Well, 55 around here on single lane roads. And you just like, I got to get somewhere. And You know, Laura and I used to say to each other, especially if somebody drove up on our bumper, said, well, they must be going to a funeral. And you know why we said that was because we wanted to check our spirit and check our judgment and check our attitudes to go. You know what? Maybe that person is having. Maybe they're going to the hospital. We don't know, guys. We can live in the spirit at work, in our home, in our school because it's dependent upon Him. But when if I'm living in a new family with a new connection, a new relationship, I'm not hostile to God. I'm not His enemy. I'm, I'm His. I'm His child then what that means is I'm being led by the Spirit. He's my guide. I've submitted that whatever the Spirit would lead me to do, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought ought to be, all right, Lord, how are you going to lead me today? And when I lay down, head down at night, I need to thank Him for whatever path He took me on. Number seven, relationship. By the Spirit, we are now God's children. I mean, I'm being changed, but one of the reasons I'm changed is because now I've become His child. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. That's where sin and death is. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Remember I talked about how there was two things our flesh drives us to do. To sin and to self-justify. Both of these lead to death. But we are different Because we have been changed, we are His children, and as His children, He is our Father. Now, some of you have had some pretty bad dads. I am so sorry. I don't say that in any way to be disrespectful. Your dad was absent. Your dad was abusive. Your dad was a deadbeat. I I hate that. But what I don't want you to do is to take the vision you have of your daddy and project it on your father. Personally, to me, I don't pray and say, Daddy God. I know some friends I have that do that, and... I'm not going to split theological hairs because I think when you diminish the title father to daddy, it takes away his holiness and his omniscience, his Godhead. But in this, he said, we cry out, Abba, father. Why? Because we have a relationship with him. It reminds me of one of my favorite characters in a Marvel movie, Peter Quill, Guardians of the Galaxy, second movie. He's fighting his dad. He, he had longed forever to meet his dad. And he finally met his dad. And his dad is this supreme kind of being. He's actually a planet. I know that doesn't make sense if you haven't watched the movie. But he's, he's warring with his dad. But he had been raised by a man named Yondu. Yondu was a space pirate who kidnapped him when he was younger. And he's been a pirate on his ship. And they had a, kind of this uh, love-hate relationship. But at this moment, they're flying away from the planet after fighting his dad. And Yondu's got Peter, and he's flying up, and you can see the remorse on Peter's face. And I actually have a t-shirt of this, if you ever see me wear it. And Yondu says this, he may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Yondu had been his daddy. Why? Because they had a relationship. In fact, what happened in the next scene is Yondu died, saving Peter's life. Your heavenly father sent the very best heaven had to save you from your sin. And then he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit to walk with you and to guide you and to comfort you and to strengthen you. We have his presence with us because his presence is in us. Point point number eight. And eight and nine kind of go together, so I may just read them together if that's all right with you. We have reassurance. By the Spirit, we have confidence in our salvation. I don't care if you call it eternal security or perseverance of the saints. The one common thread between the two is is that God said in His new covenant, I will put My Spirit in you and cause you to obey My commands. If He put His Spirit inside of us, that seal cannot be opened or broken by anyone else but God. And God has promised not to break His seal. If He's causing me to obey His commandments, then He has led me out of sin. (laughs) You get that? And so by having that Spirit inside of me, I know I have confidence that I've been saved. Well, how do I know that confidence? Because He's leading me? He's directing me. He's testifying with my spirit that I belong to him. And he's pulling me out of the lifestyle of my flesh. And in doing that, number nine, he's promised I will reign with him by the spirit. We know that we are an heir to the promises of God. He says in verse 17, And if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer... Whoa, whoa, what? If we suffer with him... So that we may be glorified with him. Suffer? Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. I was with you from 1 through 16. But now you're talking about this suffering thing. Because you told me I needed to accept Jesus because I was suffering in my sin. Now you're telling me to keep suffering. Jesus and the world don't jihah. Right. My flesh loves the world. The world is hostile to Jesus. I identify myself with Jesus. The world no longer likes me. Very much. Because the world wants me to indulge in my flesh. Are you with me? But what Jesus just said was this. I'm a child of God and I will reign with Him. Jesus Christ is going to come back someday. And He's going to raise the dead and we're going to enter into that consummated kingdom. The Bible says that we will reign with Him. Not as Him. We are little S's and little D's. Big S is the Son of God. We will never be Jesus. We will never be gods. And having the deity of of the Spirit in us does not make us deity. Let's be clear because we've got new age people in this world that would claim, well, the Spirit's in me, that means I'm a god too. No, we are not gods. We will never be gods. But I'm an heir to the promises. He said in 2 Timothy 12, He said, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. You know when Peter, when when Paul wrote that he was in a jail cell about to get his head cut off, and he's talking about reigning with Jesus. Oh that Jesus! Oh, oh that the Holy Spirit would give us the power and the strength that in those moments of testing and trial, that I could stand firm. So I want to challenge you with this. I want you to ask this question, and, and uh, Caleb and then we're going to come and lead us in a final song. But I have to ask this: What is the evidence of salvation in my life? And from Romans 8, am I seeing victory over sin, at least some kind of progress? Is my mind set on spiritual things? How do I see the Spirit making me alive? Do I sense and live in the power of that Spirit? Am I resolute to remain repentant and constantly dying to my flesh? Do I see change and transformation inside? Am I living as God's child according to the gospel? Am I pursuing a relationship with God? Not religion, relationship. Do I have assurance by the Spirit? Of my salvation. Do I know without any doubt in my mind. That I'm saved. And do I have victory in my life. If I'm going to reign in the future. Man I need to be reigning over my life now. Does that mean I'm not going to slip up. No. But there's so much more grace. To cover my sin. Than I can ever imagine. We need to express the proof. Of life change. By the Holy Spirit. Just like this balloon. Without the Spirit, we're lifeless and we're hopeless. We're flat. But when the Spirit of God comes into us, it gives us purpose and dimension and direction. And we are no different. I know I ask this question a lot about where you stand with your salvation. But I want you to hear it from a pastor's heart that I see what I do on Sunday morning is life or death. I'm no different than an ER doctor when you've been rushed in and you're bleeding profusely. I want to know this morning, are you lost without Jesus Christ? You've played the religious game too long. But right now you say, after I've read that list of assurances, you say, I don't have that. I don't know Jesus because I'm not seeing the evidence of the Spirit working in my life. My question to you is this Have you repented of your sins And turned to Christ Trusting Him The Son of God Who died on the cross To forgive your sin And was raised again To give you life Maybe this morning Maybe you have kind of In a sense Backslidden But I want to ask you A different question Have you lived in false assurance Of your salvation Believing that because You prayed a prayer Walked an aisle Joined a church That those things Secure uh, Served as your security And not the real presence of the Spirit changing you, molding you, moving you, and making you. What would it look like this morning if you said to God, God, I'm surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then here's the thing. As a Christian, if you're in sin, you're miserable. If you are living in sin, you are most miserable of all people. Well, why keep doing it? I know there's addictions and there's other things, and it's hard to get those things out of out of your life, but I know there's a difference in someone who's pursuing it with a smile on their face and somebody who's going, God, I slipped up again, but I know God loves me and forgives me. Oh, I slipped up again, but I know God forgives me and loves me. What would it look like if you came down to this altar this morning, knelt down on these steps and said, God, I want a fresh start. I want you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me and remind me, testify with my spirit that I belong to you. Father, as we stand to sing this morning, I pray you speak to our hearts and move in our lives that you would do some healing, and if there's somebody here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, don't let them leave this place. Lord, I don't want them to have to look at it from this perspective, but if they leave this place and they die, they will go to hell because they don't know Christ. So I pray, Father, that you would illuminate their hearts and their lives and move in us now in Jesus' name. Amen.